We're in lesson 11. We're going to look at the last part of Abraham's life. We're going to look at chapter 20 to 22. Now, let me just say that when I say the last part of Abraham's life, I'm saying the last part of his life that's really emphasized in this book because the next section is on the patriarch Isaac, but you're going to see Abraham a little bit there up until Abraham dies. But the emphasis shifts after 22 from Abraham to Isaac. Okay, so next week we'll look at Isaac. So we're going to look at these uh, three chapters, and we're not going to read them, although we might read some sections, because we want to kind of help you get a grasp of what's going on here in Abraham's life. So let's start off with chapter 20. Abraham does it again, folks. What do you mean he does it again? Remember when he was down in Egypt, who did he say Sarah was? His sister. Why did he do that? To protect himself. Okay. Now he's doing it again because this time he's not among the Egyptians, he's among the Philistines. And there is a king by the name of Abimelech. So once again, Abraham has Sarah lie about being his sister, which, which results in her being taken. Now, I, I've always been amazed at this story because she must have been some sort of beauty queen. Because at this point, Abraham is 99 years old. And she's 89. And what king would take an 89-year-old woman into his harem? Wow! And now, having said that, beauty standards changed throughout the centuries. I don't know. Maybe she had a nice earlobe or something. I don't know. Okay? Whatever their standard was. Okay? But he does it again. He says, I want you to tell him you're my sister, which is a truth, right? Because she's a half-sister. But it's not the full truth, okay? So because of her beauty, Abimelech the Philistine, king of Gerar, which is a section of the Philistine territory, took Sarah to be his wife, okay? So he took this 89-year-old woman to be his wife. The Lord comes to Abimelech in a dream and threatens to kill him because of Sarah. Now, when, if you're just reading this, you're like, and you don't know the rest of the story, you're like, what? Why would God come to somebody and say, if you touch her, you're dead? That's basically what the passage is saying. Why would God be, I mean, because first of all, Abimelech, would you say he's innocent in this? Yeah, yeah he's innocent. I mean, he's not like, you know, I mean, he's innocent. Well, I mean, Going after 89-year-old women? I mean, but he's innocent. But God says, you touch her, you're dead. Now, why do you think God's that angry about it and willing to do that? Why do you think the issue? What do you think the issue is? Of Isaac, yes. Okay, which is the promise to Abraham. All right, now why is that significant? Why? We know later why that promise is significant. Who comes later to that line? 
Jesus. So if, if you want to mess it up, you mess it up from the beginning. Did you know what I'm saying? If you want to mess it up, you mess it up from the beginning. Having her taken by another king, you know what I'm saying? And, she, you know, and if she has a child, you know, if you want to, you know what I'm saying? You're just going to mess it up. So God's not going to let his plan, I think that's a pretty good principle here, isn't it? God's not going to let his plan be interrupted, be messed up. That talks about the sovereignty of God. God's plan isn't going to be messed up. Nobody's going to overrule his plan. Nobody's going to intervene or interfere. And so God goes to Abimelech and says, look, you touch her, you're going to die. Okay? Now, Abimelech pleads for his life and states that Abraham lied to him. Now, how would you respond if you were Abimelech? Whoa, wait a minute, God, I didn't do anything wrong. He lied to me. I'm innocent. And is he? Yeah, he is innocent. Okay? He is innocent. In this instance, he is innocent. So the Lord states that he held Abimelech back from sinning. This is an amazing statement to me. God says, yeah, I know you're innocent, and I kept you from sinning. Wow! Remember the Lord's Prayer? What did the Lord say? When he said prayed, he said what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And what? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? Evil. What does that say about the sovereignty of God? God can keep you from what? Sinning. Do you trust him too? Here, Abimelech isn't even worshiping God. And God is keeping him from doing the right thing because remember, God, nothing's going to interfere with what? God's plan. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's plan. So the Lord states that he held Abimelech back from sinning. Now he tells the king to restore Sarah so that Abraham can pray for him. This is an amazing thing. I want you to give this woman back to the man and he'll pray for you. The dude who lied to you will pray for you. You know, that, this is just amazing to me. So of course, do you think Abimelech did what God told him to do? Yeah, of course we know he did when we read the text. Do you think he had a choice? No. <laughs> you, you touch her, you're going to die. I mean, seriously, okay? So here's what happens. Abimelech rebuked Abraham and blessed him materially as he restored Sarah. And when you read this, you could say, wait a minute now. Abraham lied to him. Abraham lied to him. I mean, we're in this mess because Abraham would, I mean, if you tell me something, if, if somebody created the mess, and yeah, maybe God came to you and told you, you need to, you need to give it, you need to make this right, but would you like give Abraham stuff materially? I'd be like, here's your woman, get out of here, right? But would you like, here, here's some gold, frankincense, or sheep, cattle, 
Would you, would you do that? No. So what's going on here? Actually, what's going on here is really a cultural thing that's going on here. Because Abimelech understands now that Abraham is someone special to who? To God. Okay? So yes, he's doing exactly what God told him to do. He's giving back Sarah. Okay? He's giving back Sarah, but he's also blessing him materially. Why? Because of God. Now he rebukes him, but it's almost like a restraining rebuke. Do you understand? what? He could only go so far with the rebuke. He can't take him out to the back and whip him. Do you know what I'm saying? He could have. He could have killed him as the king, right? But he knows better because who's looking? Who's watching? God is. Okay? So that's why he blesses Abraham materially. So Abraham prayed for Abimelech and his family so that they could bear children. Okay, so what's going on here now? Well, the text tells you that because Abimelech took Sarah as his wife, God closed up all the wombs of the women in Abimelech's household. They weren't able to have any children. So that means, you know, how do you know that the wombs are closed? Obviously, we're not talking about a two-day period here, right? We're talking about a period of time for them to realize that we're not able to have kids in this household. And that's now why Abraham has to pray. Okay? That's why Abraham has to pray. Because Abraham, according to the Jews, see this, Abraham is a prophet. Okay? So he prays for Abimelech and his family to open up the wombs. Okay? To open up their wombs. When we go through this Old Testament survey, you're going to see that God does things like this to get the attention of non-Bible, non-believing people like the Philistines. So, for instance, when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, how did God get their attention to get the Ark back to Israel? A plague. The bubonic plague. Did you understand? That would get your attention, right? Did you know what I'm saying? And, of course, we'll get that story when we get to First uh, Samuel. So, Abraham prayed and Abimelech and his family for his family so that they could bear children. All right, so now, of course, he obviously is still in the area. This is in what we know as Palestine or Israel today. We're going to talk about the birth of Isaac. Okay, so this is a year later. Okay, a year after the Lord came to them and said, by this time next year, Sarah is going to have a child. Remember, who laughed? Sarah laughed, right? Okay. So Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son at the set time that the Lord told them. So right at the exact time that God said she's going to have a son, she had a son. Now, folks, he was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. And Sarah was 90. I can't even imagine that. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's just unbelievable. Okay? So, 
Abraham named him Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day as the Lord commanded. Remember, God had instituted circumcision with Abraham as a sign of the covenant. So now this is a child of the covenant, and he was circumcised on the eighth day. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born. That is amazing to me. <clears throat> now here's how Sarah responds. Sarah expressed that God made her laugh by bearing a son in her old age. Now, why is this significant? So first of all, she's 90 years old. Can I tell you something? In that culture where procreation, having babies is important, being a barren woman was a public shame. Did you understand what I'm saying? It was a public shame to be a barren woman. To, to be a woman who went her entire... 90 years old, you're thinking, boy, you're at the end of your life. To be a woman who by now... You've ne and, and, and it's like you see other women. That's, you know, at that time, motherhood was really emphasized. There was a patriarchal society. You're supposed to carry on the family name. So here you are. You are the wife, the primary wife, and you can't have any children. And so that's a very serious stress problem. So do you understand now when she's 90 and she has a baby, the joy of that? Why? Because her shame now is what? Removed. Did you understand what I'm saying? Her shame of not having a child is removed. Now, you're saying, are you sure about that, George? Are you, are, you, are you sure about that culturally? Well, if you go back to 1 Samuel, there's another lady there by the name of Hannah who can't have a baby either. And, and, and you see there the trauma that she goes through and, and she endures at, the, at her husband's second wife, okay? Um, and... Of course, she prays, and God gives her Samuel, whom she gives to the Lord. She says, I'll give him to you, Lord, if I have another child. Well, the scripture also says she would end up going and having more children after that. So this is a big thing, a big thing. Now, you say, we don't live in that kind of culture anymore. No, but do we? You know, I find... We like to, even though you'll see a couple, and maybe they've been married five or six years, and if they don't have kids, we'll joke, oh, it's time for you to have kids. And we're just joking. But maybe they didn't take it that way. Did you understand what I'm saying? I've seen that many times through 20-plus years of ministry. Because you don't, I mean, do you walk around saying, hey, we're trying to have a kid and we can't have one? Nobody goes around with that on their t-shirt, right? So it's best not to say anything, but we still have that cultural perspective. If you are married, you need to have what? Children, right? Children. Yeah, something to think about. So that's been a long, I mean, think about it. This is a couple thousand years before Jesus. This is 4,000 years ago. Things haven't changed much in 4,000 years, have they? You know? All right, let's go on. Sarah expressed that God 
made her laugh by bearing a son in her old age. So she's excited. She's laughing. At the celebration of Isaac's weaning, Sarah witnessed Ishmael scoffing. Now, when is a child weaned? In our culture today, when was your baby weaned? Does anybody know what weaning means? I think you all do. It's when they move from the bottle to what? Gerber's smushed peas that you wouldn't eat, but you made your baby eat it. You know what I'm saying? You know, or squash. You know what I'm saying? Or, or you mushed up bananas for them. You know, and then when they moved to solids, they were considered what? Weaned. What age is that in our culture? In their culture, it was a little bit different. In their culture, it could be even up to the age of 10. Really? Now, they didn't have bottles back then. Why would they do that? And this is still true in some cultures in the world today. Why? First of all, they're nomadic. And Walmart isn't around the corner. It would be because of food and nutrition. Do you understand? So when a child was weaned, okay, when a child was weaned, it was a very significant thing, and they would have a celebration. They would have a festival or a, a feast to commemorate the child being weaned. So when Isaac becomes weaned and he's eating solid food on his own, they have a festival. Now here's what happens at this festival. Abraham, is this his only son? No, he's got Ishmael too. Ishmael by this point is a teenager. And Sarah witnesses Ishmael scoffing. Okay, which by the way, is that a teenage thing to do? Especially when it's your sibling, right? Teenagers mock their siblings all the time, right? Don't they do that? Okay. If you have normal teenagers, they do that. Okay. She witnesses that. And of course, this is 90-year-old mom, but she's still mom. It's her only baby. What do you think she's going to, how do you think she's going to react? Nicely? No, not at all. She reacts very strongly. And so at Sarah's insistence, Abraham reluctantly sent Hagar and Ishmael away. Sarah's like, this house ain't big enough for the two of us. Get out of here. Excuse me. This tent ain't big enough for the two of us, okay? Get her out of there. And so Abraham, if you read the text, he's very reluctant to do that, isn't he? But he does it, and guess what? The God says to him, okay, it's okay to do this. It's okay. You do what you do what you say. God affirms to him, this is what you need to do. So having used up their resources, what do you mean, what resources? Well, of course, Abraham supplied her before she went out. Having used up their resources, you'll read in the text the story. There they are in the desert, and... 
They're out of resources. The boy's passed out. She's afraid he's going to die. She basically is at a point of death, okay? Having used up their resources, Hagar and Ishmael face certain death. And the angel of the Lord showed her water and promised to make Ishmael a great nation. The angel of the Lord showed her water and promised to make Ishmael a great nation. So again, we see the angel of the Lord here. Now, the angel of the Lord, is this just any angel? No. We would say it's probably the pre-incarnate Christ because it's, it's deity. Okay? It's deity. It's God showing up and promises to make Ishmael a great nation. So the Lord was with Ishmael and he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. Okay? So the Lord was with Ishmael and he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. Now, who, who claims Ishmael as their father? Arabs. Okay? The Arabs claim Ishmael as their fa father. Okay? In fact, if you were to go to some of the holy sites today in, um, in Palestine, and if you had a Palestinian guide show you and you went through a Palestinian organization to see the holy sites, they will take you to certain places and, and they replace Isaac and say that it was Ishmael. So they would say, like in a moment here, we're going to see where Abraham offers up Isaac on Mount Moriah, that that was actually the true story is Abraham offered up Ishmael as a sacrifice. Did you understand what I'm saying? You're like, what, what? I'm telling you that they twist it to make Ishmael the primary one, the primary chosen of Abraham. Because the Arabs claim, Muslims especially claim, Abraham as well. Do you understand? So, all right, so let's go on. We're going to talk about, now, of course, he's in Abimelech's area of the Philistines. And, of course, there's going to be, of course, conflict. And so here's what happens. Considering his kindness towards Abraham, Abimelech sought to make an alliance with him. All right, now stop for a moment. This seems kind of weird. I mean, a guy lied to you. Yeah, you bless him. But now you're going to make an alliance. What's an alliance? Well, it's a treaty. It's kind of like a peace treaty. An alliance, like you're going to be my ally. Now, why would he do that? Well, do you think Abimelech has heard the story of Abram and his servants taking out the five kings and freeing all the prisoners? Do you think he's heard that story? Yeah, so he obviously recognizes that Abraham is not just some wealthy dude. Abraham's a warlord. Do you know what I'm saying? He's got a group of men who know how to fight. Okay? So if you're the local king, and you know, of course, with, with kings in that area, there's always going to be a war, you want to make sure you have an ally so that the people coming in don't say, oh, well, Abraham says, oh, I'll help you against Abimelech. No, so they want to, he wants to set up an alliance, okay? 
Now, Abraham swore an alliance, but he also rebuked Abimelech for seizing his water wells. He also rebuked Abimelech for seizing his water wells. Now, that's a significant thing, because when you're out there and you're a nomad, you need what? Water. How do you find water? Well, there's two ways to get water in Palestine. One, you dig a well for it. Or two, you dig out a cistern, which is just like a giant pit that collects water from the rain. Okay? Now, would you like to drink that rainwater that kind of runs off into... No, it's not the greatest thing to drink out of, but that's what they do. But to dig a freshwater well, that would be better, right? So they would dig these wells. Well, the problem is, is Abimelech's people, herdsmen especially would seize those wells by force. Those are our wells. You know what I'm saying? Those are our wells. So Abraham says, hey, I'll make this treaty with you, but your guys are stealing my water wells. Now, that is, again, something that's out of our thinking here, although water rights are a big thing, aren't they? Yeah, water rights. One thing that I remember, do you remember Lawrence of, uh, Lawrence of Arabia? Remember in the beginning scenes, he's going out, he's in his uniform, he's with this Arab guy, they're drinking out of water, and another Arab guy comes up and shoots the guy, shoots the other Arab guy, and the issue was a water well. That's my water well, he's stealing from my water well. And the British guy, Lawrence, is appalled that you just murdered this guy because of water. That's how serious it was back then, and still is, Okay. Still is. So Abraham swore an alliance, and he rebuked Abimelech for seizing his water wells. So Abimelech denied knowledge of the seizures, and Abraham had him acknowledge the well that he dug. So Abimelech, of course, he's going to say, I don't know anything about any of that. Oh, you mean my people did that? I don't know nothing about that. And, and Abraham's like, okay, that's fine. But this well I dug, will you at least acknowledge that? And yeah, he did. Because why? Abimelech wants him as a what? Ally. Okay? As an ally. So the place of the well was called, was Beersheba, which is still there today. And Abraham called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. So he called on the Lord and gave him the name, the everlasting God. Now, we're going to see in chapter 22 the testing of Abraham. So I'm going to just kind of go through this in five minutes. We pretty much know the story, but I just want to go through some things with you. This, my friends, is probably the m most important example of faith here that I've ever seen. Because this is just humanly impossible to do this. Because I don't know that any of us would do this. You've got to have faith in God to do what he's telling you to do here. So the Lord tested Abraham by commanding that he take Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering. Think about that for a moment. Abraham has been waiting 25 years for the promise of a son to be fulfilled. It's fulfilled. And now, a few years later, God says, okay, I want you to take that boy, take him where I'm telling you to go, and I want you to offer him up to me 
Not like we would say in the New Testament, a living sacrifice. I want you to kill him and burn him as an offering to me like you would an ox or a sheep. Whoa! Are you kidding me? Like, would you be willing to do that? You've been waiting for him. In the morning, Abram took his son and wood as they departed to the place God told him about. He got up in the morning, he took his boy, took some servants with him, left the servants at a certain point, and they went to the place God told him about. That's faith. Faith. Isaac questioned his father about the sacrifice. And Abraham stated that the Lord would provide it. Because Isaac's obviously seen lots of sacrifices by now because his dad sacrifices to the Lord all the time. Well, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, this is the statement of faith. God will provide the sacrifice. God's going to provide the sacrifice. What, what's going on here? He's trusting God, even though God told him to do this, that God is going to fulfill his promises. Why? Because if you go back and look at the promises up before this point, God said that through this seed that God would make Abraham a what? A great nation. Do you understand? And would bless the world through this seed. So he believed God. And he's going to do what God tells him to do. So on the mountain, Abraham built an offer, prepared an altar, prepared the wood, and bound Isaac for the sacrifice. That's pretty dramatic, folks. Okay? That's pretty dramatic. As Isaac prepared to slay, excuse me, as Abraham prepared to slay Isaac, the angel of the Lord called to him to stop. Now, who's the angel of the Lord again, folks? God. We would say the pre-incarnate Christ. He says, stop, Abraham. Stop. I see your faith. I see you would withhold nothing from me. I see you would withhold nothing from me. So the Lord acknowledged Abram's faith and provided a ram for the sacrifice. This is an amazing story, isn't it? Amazing story. And Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. Another name of God. The Lord will provide. You know, I read an interesting story. This has probably been 15, 16, well, no, it's been more than that because I read it before I came here. So probably 20 years ago, I read this story of a missionary lady to Papua New Guinea who loved books. She loved books a lot. And so she hoarded her books. Rather than sharing them with the other missionaries there, she hoarded them in her room in the tropics there in her footlocker because she loved books and she just considered it precious to keep her books. She wouldn't ever let them out even though people would encourage her to share her books for the, for the encouragement of others there, she didn't do it. So one night, she was laying in bed, and she heard a sound. The story is saying this. She heard a sound of crunching. I don't know what that sound, 
but because then she's like panicked. She realized it was coming from her footlocker where she kept her books. And she opened up the footlocker and here there were worms or some kind of bugs that had destroyed, that had been eaten her prized books and destroyed them all. And then here's what she said. If I had just given them to the Lord and let others use them, I would still have my books today. But because I hoarded it and didn't let the go of them, they're gone. Sometimes when God asks you to give up things, you need to trust him. That's what faith is about, right? Trust him. And that's what Abraham did here. The Lord provided. Now, the Lord reaffirmed his promise to Abraham concerning his descendants. So the Lord reaffirmed the promise. Now, the last part of chapter 22, we get to where we talk about Nahor again. Now, who's Nahor? Well, that is Abraham's brother who's living up in what we now know as Syria up in Haran. Okay? So Abraham received a report that children had been born to his brother Nahor by his wife Milcal. All right, next week we'll talk about Isaac. We're going to shift to Isaac. Okay? Okay?